Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Good evening, noon, or morning, whenever you happen to be listening to the podcast. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. We do bless you and we praise you for your abundant goodness to us. We are seeking you today, Lord Jesus, most of all for the podcast and praying that you will move and use your word in the ways that you have already ordained. We do pray that it makes a difference, Lord Jesus, in our prayer lives and that we remember and keep and grow in the knowledge that it's to you that we pray, to the holy God of the universe, not to a force, not to a magic, but to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy God of the universe. And we bless you for that, and we thank you for that, and we pray that we will continually remember that. We would pray also today, Lord Jesus, for our world, for the evil that's there, the sickness that's there. And Holy God, we know from your word that it's all because of our fallen nature, our fallen state. Thank you that you sent your only begotten Son to be our Savior. And because of your plan, your sending, and your Son, we have faith in what he's done, and we count ourselves among the redeemed, and we bow before you. We long to have close personal communion with you, and we long to see you work. So we're entrusting everything, disease, evil, wicked plans, righteous plans. Most of all, we're asking that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for showing us, and thank you for moving that we can trust you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. It's in his name we pray, for thy glory, from now and forever. Amen. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I'm the host of the podcast. I know you hear it over and over again, but it is true. It is also true that my joy is full. I have complete gratitude to be able to have a forum like this, a place like this, to teach about prayer. It's a great joy and a privilege to know that you're listening, and it makes me humble as well. Again, driving to my knees day after day, praying that God will take the little fish that I have, the little bread that I have, and make it into a meal for your soul. Your hearts long to pray. God longs to hear from you. And I do want to make this an encouragement, an exhortation, whatever you need to help you in your prayer life. One of the things I would like to do is formalize a little bit some of the themes of the podcast. We do still want to keep and desire the movement of the Holy Spirit. We want to stay flexible, as flexible as we can, because we want the Holy Spirit to move and to talk through and to lead. 
And from time to time, my muddling mind might want to change things up a little bit or slip something into. So we do want to stay flexible. But as I've examined the podcast over the past few days, especially, in generally speaking, we've developed several categories that we've been talking about. One is Jesus teaches prayer, and that's kind of the midst of our main teaching at this point. And then we have a feature called In Others' Words, where we look at what other people say about prayer. We've been doing devotionals and episodes of encouragement. We started and are just a few episodes into a mentoring style or a mentoring purpose of our podcasts. And to those things, I would like to add reviewing from time to time what God has said, prayer devotionals, we've had one of those already, and along with my uh, muddling mind, other stuff. We haven't defined those yet, but other stuff. Now, I would like to do those on a more consistent rotational basis, but I'd like to do that also with the idea of, as we're going through a thread like we have in Jesus Teaches Prayer, and it's going to take us a while to do this, to get done with this one, I would like to be more consistent in have, having that a more frequent part of that rotation, Jesus Teaching Prayer. I think that's very important. And then we'll fill in around that with those other categories. And as always, we're praying for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, to tell us and to show us what we need to do and when. So we're looking to do that. We'll see how that works. Today, however, we're, we are at, again, Jesus teaching prayer. And we're in Matthew 6, as we have been. And in verse 5, he starts this section on prayer by saying, And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. That's how this whole section starts. So he introduces prayer in the Sermon on the Mount with the idea that our prayer lives are going to be different than the hypocrites, different than the unsaved. And we looked earlier in several episodes on the motivation and the fact that the hypocrites he's talking about here are those inside and outside the church, inside and outside faith, who have the main motivation of seeing or being seen by men. That's why they pray publicly, because they want to be seen by others. They want to be seen as special because of their prayer lives. And we saw that their reward, it doesn't mean that God is not going to answer some of those prayers. What it does mean is the reward of that person is gone because he's praying before men or to be seen by men and not by God. We also saw that this does not preclude public prayer. Our most intimate times with God are surely going to be in our prayer closets or wherever we choose to pray, whatever you choose to call that area. But we are not prohibited from praying with one another, for one another, in front of one another. Our motivation should always be that we know that we're in the presence of Almighty God as we are praying. And now we're moving to verses 7, 8, and 9 in this section on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching prayer. And Jesus says to them, then, after he talks about praying publicly, he says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then this way. And that's verse 9, and we're going to stop there. 
And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And it may seem we're going to start a little backward today, but we're going to start the way we're going to start. We're going to start with the last phrase. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And we're going to start there because I have always wondered why that phrase was there. Now, the Word of God isn't random. It's purposeful. Written by the Holy Spirit, men moved by the Holy Spirit moved to write the Word. And so these verses are there, and they were taught by Jesus in that moment for a reason. But that has always been a little perplexing to me. And at first blush, it might even seem like he's saying, if God knows, why pray? And he's obviously not saying that because he goes on to show us how to pray, to give us a pattern for prayer, I believe. So he's not saying, don't pray because God knows what you need. So why is he saying that? And as I pondered for this episode, and I, and I didn't actually plan to start with this last phrase, but as I pondered the episode, I've come to the conclusion, I truly believe that Jesus is pointing us back to who God is, who God really is, because who God is in our thoughts or how we think about him, that's going to form the content of our prayers. That can't help but do that. In fact, you've heard the term deist probably which is defined in the 1700s, meant somebody who believed that God did create the world, he started it, and then just lets it keep running. We are not deists, but if we were, and he lets it keep running, basically the picture of he walked away and lets it keep running by itself, why would we pray at all? Or if, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, God was the God of our creation, We've talked about this a little bit in the past. The whole surrounding area of Jerusalem, Mesopotamia, had gods that they made in their own image. And what they felt about those gods definitely had an impact on how they prayed. So we're basically asking what is vain repetition and how in the world does knowing who God is keep us from that practice? And we have looked at this before a little bit. From two specific sources, one of them is Great Courses Plus, their lectures on Mesopotamia, and then Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. It's been really interesting, and I actually let these two things kind of seep into my consciousness before I really realized what I was listening to. But when we look at the gods, the man-made gods around Israel, and actually all over the world, it's very interesting, and we see how different the one true God of the Bible is. And basically, and I'm going to break this down just into the very basics, you can listen to that Mesopotamia, those Mesopotamia lectures or read where you would like. Dan Carland is a good source of that too. But basically, they believed in one main God who created stuff, whatever form he took. But that main God didn't really like mankind very much and was set about to destroy us. The lesser gods, and it changes from story to story, from place to place, but the lesser gods, those ones around Israel that surrounded Israel that we've, been talk- that we've talked about before, tricked or manipulated the one God into letting us live. 
And what and now, well, not now, but what they believed at that time was each city, each group was dependent on these whimsical gods, these lesser gods, to protect them from the main god, first of all, and then from the other gods who are fighting with each other. And the woman who lectured for the Mesopotamian lectures there at Great Courses Plus, she made the point of saying these, gro- these gods were powerful beings, but they were just basically powerful human beings. They had the same foibles that we have. So each area, each god of each area, became the protector, if you would, against the whimsical gods and from droughts and lack of crops, fertility, all those sorts of things were dependent on that god's favor. And because of that, they were afraid and they fed and they washed. They gave blood sacrifices. They brought devotions to God, to their God, but not out of a heart of devotion, but out of terror, utter terror. If they didn't do things exactly right, either the main God would come and kill them, or they would have bad crops and no food, droughts, that sort of thing. And they did this not on the basis of promises that their gods made, but on the basis of fearful superstition. They had no assurance that what they were doing would bring about good things. And they assumed when bad things happen, like droughts, or I don't think they have hurricanes on left, tornadoes, anything like that would happen. They assumed that their God was mad at them. In their superstitious bondage, they would again renew what they wanted to do with those gods to try to make them turn around. And they only could tell, like I said, they didn't have anything written or anything officially written. They could only tell if they were pleasing the gods or not by the circumstances from year to year, day to day. Those gods that we make, that mankind make on our own, are made in our image, and they have to be placated by words and blood and constant care. But there was a Twilight episode that I found very intriguing, even way before I was saved, and it was about a man who was in a room with a machine. And that machine was moving. It had a bunch of moving parts. And he was listening to the radio. And every time something bad happened, he went to a different part of the machine and tried to balance it out so the machine would work better. And the whole premise of the show was this man's relatives were trying to get to him so that he would come out of his room. He never left because in his mind, he thought that the whole of the universe depended on him and his keeping that machine running and in perfect balance. And it was very interesting. I think probably a psychologist, I don't remember the episode that well, but the, let's say, psychologist came in and convinced him that he didn't have to keep that machine together. And so he left the room. But before the psychologist left the room, he heard something bad on the radio, saw some imbalance in the machine, and he ran over to fix that machine and to set that balance. And once he did that, that was the end of the episode, but you could tell that he was stuck. He was going to be stuck in that room, making that machine keep balanced. And that's where all false worshipers find themselves, trying to keep their gods pleased. And because they could never be certain of what was going to happen or be certain of their the answers their god might give, they repeated over and over again the same meaningless gestures and words, the vain repetition 
that Jesus is talking about, at least part of the vain repetition that Jesus is talking about. And we see this perfectly in 1 Kings 18, and that's what we want to look at today. In 1 Kings 18, we find Elijah, you know, running from Ahab, and then God tells him to get out, to go talk to Ahab, because God is going to make an illustration. And so we pick up our story in 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. These are the prophets of Baal. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it, and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I will repair the other ox, and lay on it the wood, and I will put no fire under it. Then you, we could almost see him turning to the prophets of Baal, can't we? Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people, now they open their mouths, and all the people said, that is a good idea. And it is a good idea. So that's the stage. The stage is set. Whose God is listening? Whose God can bring down fire? Verse 25, So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it. You are first, for you are many, is what the verse says. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal. From morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. That's what they said from morning to noon. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. The verse goes on, to though, to say, and I know you've heard it, but the verse goes on to say, But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they left about the altar which they made. So they're jumping around, saying, O Baal, answer us, O Baal, answer us, leaping around, probably like a dance. But maybe not. Maybe they were just leaping and jumping up and down. I know it's silly. Maybe they thought if they jumped a little higher, he would hear them. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he's occupied, or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Now, those that passage is really full of meaning, but we don't have time for that today. There's some interesting phrases that scholars think that those words mean. But either way, He's getting to his point, especially the last phrase. Maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened, so yell a little louder. Verse 28, So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. So they took his advice. They started yelling and screaming more, jumping around more, cutting themselves, pleading with this God that they had created. They didn't know that. But they were pleading with him to answer and bring fire. Verse 29 says, And it came about when midday was past 
that they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. So for hours and hours more they raved on. O Baal, hear us. O Baal, hear us. More and more frantic, more and more emotional. You'll notice earlier it says, from morning till noon, they were saying, O Baal, deliver us. Afternoon, they started jumping around and shouting. And then the last part of the afternoon, they were raving again for hours. But the end of that verse, 29, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. And that's the sad state of false worship, is no one is really paying attention. This all went on till the evening, then Elijah had had enough, so he said to the people, verse 30, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. That's what, Israel, that's what God said to them. Verse 32. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar. He's up in his game. It was large enough to hold two measures of seed. And then he arranged the wood, cut the ox in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers of water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Now, really quickly, you might be saying it had been a drought, and it had been. This is pretty close, I think, to the Dead Sea. So they got the water from there. Anyway, they poured it all around. We might say that he's taken it to the next level. And then verse 36 says, Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Today let it be known that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou art, that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, real quickly before I go on, The only thing that's repeated there at all is, answer me, O Lord, answer me. He doesn't say this dozens of times. He doesn't shout it out. It says, he came near and said. He knew who he was talking to. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. That's a hot fire. And when the people saw it, They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that, again, is out of astonishment, out of emphasis. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. These are the false teachers. These are also the people that helped make sure that Israel was slain. I believe child sacrifice is also a part of the worship of Baal. So they weren't good guys and they weren't innocent. And God had judgment for them. Now, really quickly, Elijah said to Ahab, get back to the city. 
there's rain coming. There hadn't been rain, and now there's rain coming, he said. So Ahab, Ahab took off. And then just to finish this story, Ahab went up towards the sea, and he sent his, he bowed down, and he sent his servant out to look for the rain clouds. The first time he came back, the servant came back and said, there's nothing. Then Elijah said, go back seven times. And we don't know. We're not told that he kept praying anything over and over again, and I don't think he did. I think he was just waiting patiently for what the Lord had promised. And then it came about, verse 44 of that same chapter 18, at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming from the sea. So then Elijah reinforced the fact that a shower is coming. And then this is also the famous one where the Lord was with Elijah and he tied up his clothes and he ran and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. But you see this illustration. Those men, those prophets were calling out to a God who really isn't a God, who got to a God who really wasn't listening. And they thought by their incantations, their repetition, their mindless jumping around, their formulas, that's how their God would hear. And they didn't have time to wait for the seasons to pass to see if they were in good standing with their God or not. The challenge was for right now. And the challenge went unmet because they were shouting and yelling and screaming, not to the true God of the universe, but to their own mindless superstitions in fear. And that's why they kept getting more frantic, frantic as time went on. Again, they didn't have time to wait. And their ravings got louder, more repetitious, more frenzied, as we could imagine. And that, I believe, is what Jesus was talking about, because we know the true God and Jesus Christ who he sent, remember? That's eternal life. Because we know him and are growing in that relationship to him, and we know when we pray we are talking to him and not to the capricious gods made by men, we don't need those incantations, the mindless repetition, the formulas. He wants us to pour out our hearts before him. The holy God of the universe, the God of the Bible, created us, created life. He paid for our sins. He reveals himself to us. He's given us promises. He tells us over and over again of his faithfulness. He's made for us a path to walk. Think about your lifestyle as a Christian and how much trouble it saves you from. He has reconciled us to himself and shows us the way. So we don't need to chant or cut ourselves or yell and scream or jump around. Now, he is not talking about importunity, which is an old Puritan term. We are, as we will see in the future, we are told by Jesus himself to pray over and over again until we see the answers. But what we don't need is vain repetition. We need to pour out our hearts before him. We don't need over and over again to say the exact same things. He knows we are talking to the one who knows what we need before we need it. And his longing is not for us to placate him or say the magic words. We'll look at that next time. It's for us to pour out our hearts before him, to have the faith to pray expectantly, we've seen in the past, and also to pray with acceptance. I'm a little better at this than I was before, but I long for the day that I am able to say with complete integrity what Paul said in 1 Timothy 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him to him until that day. He doesn't say, I know his power, I know what he would like to do, and wish he would do it. He says, Paul says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Knowing our Savior, knowing our God, and growing in our relationship with him in sincerity and truth, far from moving us to say, I don't have to talk to him because he already knows what I know. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus didn't tell us that to discourage us, because next he's going to say, pray this way. He told us that so that we would open up our hearts by faith and sincerely talk to God. And as we see him and learn about him again in growth and experience him more and more through the word and through what he does in our lives, Less and less do we call out in formulas. And more and more do we just say, Lord, this is my heart. This is what I need. Teach me if I need it. Supply if I need it. And then show me what I really need. I believe you by faith. I trust you by faith. I will come to you every day for this. That's what true prayer is, my beloved friends. It's truly talking to God. And that's what he's getting at here. God knows what you need. He's listening, so tell him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, again for this day. I bless you and thank you again for your mercies that come to us. I thank you and just confess, where would I be if not knowing you and your Son, salvation, and the fact that I'm not coming to a capricious God, but to the God who gives us promises and then is faithful to fulfill them. We thank you for this time right now and just pray that you would teach us to pray as Jesus prayed, heartfelt, open, honest, having the faith to not only know that you hear, but know that you are going to answer and give us exactly what we need and that you're going to keep us from what we don't need. And then teach us gently as you can, gently as we need, what we truly need, what we truly long for. And then you are going to give us those desires, the true desires that align with you, the desires of our heart holding nothing back. We thank you that that is true. We thank you and bless you for your abundant goodness and mercies again and commit all this to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls, because you died on our behalf. Amen. Again, praying that this helps praying that we would all be moved again away from vain repetition and to the true interaction with Almighty God. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace continually as you learn about him and come to know more and more that he wants to hear from your heart and that he is our safe place. Truly amen to that. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, 
make it a godly, fun-filled day.